Well, once again, good morning. And we direct your attention this morning to the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers. It has been amazing for me, and it shouldn't be. I should get used to it. But the messages from Luke, the messages from Numbers, and the messages from Esther all agree. <laughs> they just dovetail together. Now, I don't call Mike and say, what are you, what are you speaking about this time? So I can kind of coordinate that. Uh, he shows up and I show up and, oh my goodness, same spirit directs his people to come to the same truths of his word. Well, here in the book of Numbers this morning, we're going to spend some time on the everlasting priesthood. The everlasting priesthood. What a, what a thought. And it's brought out in form, in typical form. It's type here. It tells us in the book of Numbers chapter 25, and I'd like to read verses 11, 12, and 13. If you read the previous verses up through verse 11, you'll find out that there was a lot of mayhem was going on among the children of Israel, that they had fallen after false gods, worshipped false gods, allowed Moab to bring in their religion, and things are just in a terrible state. And yet, even among those that are in this terrible state, there are a few that know the truth about the gospel. And they are very defensive about it. They're going to defend the gospel. They're going to preach the gospel. They're going to declare the gospel, even in all the mayhem. And they could have very easily been carried off. But the Holy Spirit will not allow us to be carried off. We must speak out for the word, for God. And here in verse 11, it says, Phineas. Now, he is a grandson of Aaron. And he's going to be in line to be high priest. Phineas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel, while he was zealous for my sake among them, that I consume not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Now, we're going to find out that there were 24,000 people consumed by the wrath of God over this incident, but not all Israel. All right, verse 12. Wherefore, say, behold, I give unto him my covenant of peace. I wish I could grasp all that's in that verse, but we'll try to get a little. And then verse 13, and he shall have it. He shall have peace, and his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made an atonement for the children of Israel. Now, when it comes to zealous and atonement and work in putting away sin, these people, the priests, High priest or lower priest could only do that in typical form. They could not do it in reality because we find that there is only one that can put away sin. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. That was what his purpose was in the covenant of grace. And he carried it out and he has put away sin. But these people spoke about it, and we find that even the Lord Jesus shares with us, as the Holy Ghost does here in this passage of Scripture, that there are types and shadows and pictures 
that are brought out in the scripture to share with us, even to those people in the Old Testament, that all the truths of the gospel was evident to them too. Now, many of them had nothing to do with it, but there were those that we read about that had been given another spirit. And those that had been given another spirit did not argue with God about what God had to say. Keep your finger here, and I would like to go over and read one verse of Scripture in the book of Hebrews chapter 7. Now, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews chapter 7 a little bit later, but I want to read one verse of Scripture that shares with us that the reason that these people could not continue in an everlasting priesthood by themselves is evident here in the book of Hebrews, is brought out by the Holy Spirit as he gave the words to the author of the book of Hebrews, the Apostle Paul. And in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23, we read these words. And they truly were many priests. Now that's an understatement. (laughs) There truly were many priests. Now there were high priests, there were subordinate priests, there were under priests, there were all kinds of priests, but there were many. And it goes on to tell us why there had to be many. Because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. Now, the Lord is going to share and has shared over here in the book of Numbers chapter 25 that Phineas is going to have something said about him in regard to, I will establish a covenant of grace, a co- excuse me, a covenant of peace, and I will grant an everlasting priesthood to him. Now we find out that the Aaronic priesthood is called everlasting because it was to continue and did continue throughout the whole Jewish dispensation. From the time that it was established at Mount Sinai, to the time we come down to AD 70, the entire Jewish dispensation, there was a priest. For good or for bad, there was a priest. And we find out during the time that the Lord was crucified, there was a priest and a high priest, and there might have been plurality of high priests. But it did continue through the whole Jewish dispensation until the coming of the Messiah in whom it had been fulfilling an end. There's going to be an end to this Aaronic priesthood when Jesus Christ is established. Phinehas is a type of Christ, but the types are not anything compared to reality. What was different about him? He continued not because of death. There could not be an everlasting priesthood of human priests. It is not going to last. There is going to be a person that may live to be 100 years old, but his priesthood would be over and someone else has to take his place. But we find with regard to Christ that there is an everlasting priesthood. He was a priest before the foundation of the world. He was a priest in time, and he's still a priest on the behalf of his people, making intercession for us. He was a priest that offered the sacrifice that could and would put away sin. He was a priest that makes ambassage for us, and we find that he is that, and we'll read some more about it. Phineas is a type of Christ, but a type are not yet Christ. The Christ priesthood is an unchangeable and real priesthood. And he does not pass from one to another. 
His sacrifice has a perfect virtue in it. All of these sacrifices did not put away sin. Oh, we have no way of knowing how many sacrifices were offered and how many animals were sacrificed, but there was no virtue in any of those animal sacrifices. They could not and would not and did not put away sin. Sin was still there. It was still in the person. Now we know that all of those that belonged to him had their sin put away really from the foundation of the world or before the foundation of the world. It was going to be taken care of on their behalf. And God did not get angry with them. He did not put them away. We find out that he took care of them. He oversaw them. He blessed them. And in the time of his favor, he granted them, blessed them with salvation. And in their realizing that, says, my sin has been put away. It is as far as the east is from the west. I'm convinced that Abel understood that that his sin had been taken care of and was as far as the east is from the west, even though we don't even have that verse yet. We find that the, his sacrifice was a perpetual virtue and efficacy in that it takes away sin and ever lives to make intercession for us. So Phinehas could not fulfill that, but Jesus Christ did. In verse 13 of that passage of Scripture over there in the book of Numbers, if we could go back there for just a moment, in the book of Numbers chapter 25 and verse 13, we read these words again in verse 13. It said, And he shall have it, he shall have peace, and his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood. Now that lasted until there was no longer any need. You know what happened? Many things happened on the day of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus, but one of those that just causes me to be thankful was that great veil being ripped from top to bottom, exposing the mercy seat, saying, this is over. There is one right here that is the fulfillment of every type and shadow and picture that has ever been represented there, every sacrifice that was ever there, every blood that was spattered on that mercy seat. Everything has been taken care of in this one person who has just passed into the heavenlies, if you please, when he said, it is finished. Sin has been taken care of, and God, by his great Ripped it from top to bottom. Now, if you read about that veil, it was not easily done. Human beings could not do that. Try to rip a, well, our phone books today, you probably could rip in two. <laughs> but the old ones, you couldn't rip them in two. Well, that's the way it was. We find that the priesthood that Phineas represented, he was the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, and could only pass on his own seed. You know, the other day I was reading over there in the book of Genesis about those, all those trees, all the grass, everything, all the animals brought forth after their kind. And that is what Phinehas could do. That's what Eliezer could do. That's what Aaron could do. And that's what every one of those children born into that priesthood could do. They could only pass on what they were. And we are born into this world, sinners against God, enmity against God. And it takes the grace of God to change that. 
So these people were just born into a sinful world and a sinful nature. And we find that they could not do what Jesus Christ would do because they were of human flesh. He brought forth after his kind. They were fallen priests before they were born who would die due to the curse. They would just die, be buried, and another one would be raised up. But we're thankful as we look into this that Phinehas was a type and a shadow and a picture of him who would not have to have a new priest raised up. Several things are apparent about this covenant of peace and the recipient Phinehas. You know, under the old... Uh, testament economy if you kill somebody and he's killed two people with a javelin they were performing a very immoral act in a tent and he went in and run a spear through both of them and killed them you know what could have happened to him the family of that man could come after him and legally take his life that's why the cities of refuge were established they could legally take his life. And that principle still goes on in the world today. You take somebody's life, you could probably have someone in their family come after you, and in their minds at least, it may be against our law, but in their minds they could fulfill it and take your life. And so it goes back and forth. Brother Lance has shared with us about the people in New Guinea. That's a principle that they know about. You take somebody, they're going to take somebody, and it's an ongoing taking somebody. Well, we find here that the Lord Jesus promised Phineas, you are not going to have to fear anybody coming after you because I have given you a covenant of peace. And in order to have a covenant of peace, I've had to settle it with some other people too. It's just not, okay, you're going to feel good about this. I've taken care of the issue with everybody else in this matter. Isn't it wonderful that when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he took care of it for everybody else that would be opposing us? As we heard, brother, that verse of scripture in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, he took care of principalities and powers that were opposed to us. He got involved in every enemy of the church. He just didn't settle it for us. He settled it for all of our enemies, and he settled it for God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He was, a, um, he was assured he had nothing to fear from the brothers or relatives of that person he had slain. And he would have uh, enjoyed peace and happiness externally, internally, and eternally. Now that's a blessing to have peace. I'm at peace out here, I'm at peace in here, and I have peace eternally. That's what God grants us, is to be at peace with God, is eternal peace, internal peace, and external peace. I am not looking for trouble. True peace in the, is the Messiah, who is peace, the peacemaker, the peace giver, in whom all the blessings of grace and peace are found. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Isaiah chapter 54. As he had enjoyed a covenant of peace, wouldn't it, it, it would be enjoyable if you're Phineas that you didn't have to watch your backside all the time, wondering who's going to attack you when God said, I'll take care of that. You know what God said about the children of Israel when they went down to Jerusalem and had their, their feasts 
and all the men were gone, the men of war, you know what he said? I'll watch your borders. I'll take care of your borders. Don't worry about it. Except the Lord keep the house, and except the Lord keep the city, they that watch it, watch it in vain. Except, the, except us. If the Lord didn't watch over us, we would throw ourselves into the ditch again. He has provided an external, internal, and eternal peace for us, and we cannot be lost. Though we stumble, we'll not be cast down. He'll always catch us. And so, as this wonderful principle goes through, he has established with his church a covenant of peace. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, we have peace with ourselves. We have peace with our neighbor. We are at peace. In Isaiah chapter 54, we read these wonderful words. Isaiah chapter 54 And there in verse 10, For the mountain shall depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee, though your life may be in an upheaval. My kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed. Saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee, O thou afflicted, tossed with tempest and not comforted, behold, I will lay thy stones with fair colors and lay thy foundations with sapphires. He said, I will build you beautifully. Though you're afflicted and tossed. Verse 12, and I'll make thy windows of agates and thy gates of carbuncles. You know, we cannot even imagine what he's speaking about here because of the glory of these stones. This is a glorious thing that he is building. And all thy borders of pleasant stones, and all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. You know, Brother Bruce Crabtree shared with me one time about his dad. His dad was a, was a, a, a preacher, free will preacher. And, you know, he would argue with his son over grace and argue with his son over grace and argue with his son over grace until the very last. And he calls his son over there and says, Oh, Bruce, what am I going to do? There was no peace. Uh, it's, we heard this morning about it's, the outside is so often I'll keep it in good order. <laughs> But the inside is that constant turmoil. I've shared with you many times about me fishing one time and saying, Lord, if I'm saved, let me catch a fish. That's a terrible position to be in. What if there's no fish in the creek? The rest of my day is a bad day. You know, there was a lot of bad days because there just was no peace. And God sent me the gospel, the gospel of peace. That's what it is. It's a gospel of peace. It's a good news of peace. That there's been peace established. It's a covenant of peace. And even though we go through rough times, and even though we have turmoil, and even though things seem to be tipped upside down, he says, I'll never take this away from you. In verse 14, 
In righteousness shalt thou be established. Thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near thee. Behold, they shall surely gather together, but not by me. Whosoever shall gather together against thee shall fall for my sake. Behold, I have created the smith and the blow, that bloweth the coals in the fire and that bringeth forth an instrument for his work, and I have created the waster to destroy. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. What does that mean? You cannot find any fault in God's elect because God is justifier. He has justified and he will not allow that to slip. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment shalt, thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. And the church says, Amen. I'm thankful that it's his righteousness, because my righteousness is as filthy rags, but his righteousness is absolute perfection, and by it he has granted to me a covenant of peace. I have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's established that peace. In fact, we find out that that covenant of peace is mentioned in the book of Romans. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, there in verse 15. Romans chapter 10 and verse 15. In that list of things that has so often been used as the Roman road. <laughs> you know, if you break into a passage of Scripture that's not even talking about that, and you use that for your text, you have a poor context. <laughs> you have to look at the whole thing. And if you look at the whole section of chapter 10, you'll find out, oh, God has this in order, and this is going to be in order. Let all things be done decently and in order. Go through the context. Well, in part of that, and I'm not going to take time to read it all, but in verse 15 it says, And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. The gospel of peace. There is a covenant of peace that God has established in Christ Jesus that is passed on to every one of his children. It is a covenant that he's established. I will keep this covenant. It will not be revoked, even though they do things like we find out all of the people throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament believers did. And we know about ourselves. I will not take away this covenant of peace. He has spoken of it in the shadow and picture in the Levitical priesthood, but he is far superior. Now, in Bible history, we find that there's another that is spoken of besides the Levitical priesthood, and that's the priesthood where we want to go. You know, we're going to read a passage in the book of Hebrews that says there's no place in the Old Testament that said the Messiah was coming through the Levitical priesthood. And you know what the church says after they found that out? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He is not of the Levitical priesthood. He is of a tribe that there's no mention of any priest until we begin looking about the covenant of grace. And in the covenant of grace, we find out that there is a priest 
Read with me over in the book of Genesis, if you would. This is a verse of scripture that we want to look at, Genesis chapter 14. In Genesis chapter 14, there is a mention of a priest who is a king and a priest. He's a combination. Now, he just crops up. <laughs> Where is he before this? Well, when we get to the book of Hebrews, we find out he's always been before us. Here is a priest in Genesis chapter 14, verse 18. Genesis chapter 14 and verse 18. Here is someone that just pops up in history. I'm thankful that continues on. That he just pops up. When there's a lost sheep of the house of Israel, and they've come to the point that God said, it is my time of love with them. And I'm going to save him. Now, in order to do that, he is going to coordinate the gospel getting to him. Now, how he does that is beyond my imagination. We can't figure it out, but he does it. He said, before the foundation of the world, I have this line drawn between this person who knows the gospel and that person who doesn't but needs to. So he gets the line drawn out, and lo and behold, there's an intersect. And they pop up in front of the person, and they weren't even looking for him. Saul of Tarsus was not looking for that person. You and I were not looking for that person. We thought we were fine in our, in our uh, grave clothes. <laughs> and yet, somewhere, God has it determined, just as he did with the woman at the well, I must needs go to that well, because there's someone there that I have loved from eternity, and I need to acquaint her with the gospel of peace. And in order to do that, I must have the gospel brought. Well, here in the book of Genesis, chapter 14, Abraham has been in a warfare and recapturing, taking back his nephew and a bunch of possessions. And lo and behold, a man by the name of Melchizedek pops up in his life. Now, I don't know if he had knowledge of this man before, or this is the first time it doesn't tell us. But I know this that the person that this man represents, Melchizedek, and probably he is the pre-incarnate Christ, pops up in Abraham's life, and it tells us this description, and Melchizedek, king of Salem. Now we get the word Jerusalem from that. He's the king of peace, brought forth bread and wine. Now what does that represent? Are they just going to have a breakfast there? Now, they had bread and they had wine, but this certainly represents the gospel of Jesus Christ, broken body, shed blood. The gospel of Jesus Christ is declared by this man, Melchizedek, who is a king. And it goes on to tell us here, and he was the priest of the Most High God. What a person! What credentials! What a statement out here in the desert, out here where Abraham is fighting for his nephew's life and recaptured him and brought him back. And it tells us, and he blessed him and said, now who can really bless? We say, may God bless you, but you know, we can't invoke that. <laughs> we, we can't command it. 
But here was somebody that blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God. Now this is God's credentials, possessor of heaven and earth. That's the Most High God. And verse 20, And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand, and he gave him tithes of all. You know what that says? He had the utmost respect for this person. He had the utmost respect for his position, that he was king of Salem and priest of the Most High God. And he went away blessed. Now, turn with me, if you would, in the Psalms. Brother Lauren read this just, just this morning in Psalm 110. Psalm 110. We have a priest mentioned by the name of Melchizedek. And in Psalm 110, verse 4, Psalm 110 and verse 4, we have him brought up again. Psalm 110, verse 4, it says, The Lord has sworn and will not repent. I've asked a number of people recently, do you believe God can change? And you know the answer has been, well, of course. He can change. That's why I pray. I said, what? I don't pray to, I, I think I used to pray to change God's mind. You know, that's what most prayer chains are. If we can get enough people praying, we can get God to change his mind on this. And what a piddly, piddly, insignificant, foolish God we have if that's the truth. We have nothing if God can change. But the scriptures are so clear on this that God does not change. And we have a verse of scripture that says as a result of God not changing, he won't change his mind about his people. Now, Moses gave every reason to do that, and David gave every reason to do that, and Abraham gave every reason to do that, and all the disciples gave every reason for God to change his mind about him. But he had a promise made and a covenant made, a covenant of peace. And he says, I will not change my mind because I've loved them with an everlasting love. They are foolish people. They are descendants of Adam. And that's the reason I have a covenant of grace and a covenant of peace and a priest that will take care of the problem. So he will not change his mind. He says, the Lord has sworn and will not repent, will not change. Thou art a priest forever. That eternal, everlasting priesthood that was mentioned to Phinehas as a blessing, it lasted down till that temple was taken from one brick to another, one stone from another, and that was all over with, and God would never recognize that religion ever again. He didn't recognize it for peace. He did not recognize it for salvation. He did not recognize it for anything as a type and a shadow and a picture of the real. But when the real was here, there's no longer any need for the type or the shadow or the picture. I don't need the picture of my food on my table when I have the food show up. I may look at that picture in the, on the menu and say, that looks good, I'll have that. 
but I don't want the menu after the food shows up. And Jesus Christ showed up, and there's no longer any reason whatsoever for the types, the shadows, and the pictures. Do away with it. Make sure it's no longer could be an idol for anybody. You know, the Wailing Wall was supposedly part of that old temple, and guess what? Americans go over there today, and blah, blah, blah. They're at holy ground. No, holy ground is at Jesus Christ and nowhere else in this world. He shall be a priest forever. He has sworn he will not re repent according to the likeness of Melchizedek, after the pattern of Melchizedek. We find in the book of Hebrews chapter 5, this covenant of peace established by an everlasting priesthood. Brought up in, again, here in the book of Hebrews, it's brought forward to New Testament times, chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way? For that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason there hereof he ought, as for people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. Oh, to have a high priest that has to offer the first sacrifice for his own sins? That's not a priest that will do any good for us. We have to have a priest that is the God-man. We have to have a priest that is Emmanuel. We have to have a priest that has the interest of God and the interest of the church in his heart and mind, established and promised in a covenant of grace. And thus we have in Jesus Christ the Lord. Here it tells us, going on in that, No man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. And he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You know, no man taketh this honor to himself, but God gives it. I'm skeptical of preachers that call themselves to the ministry. When I spent about that much time in Bible school, I used to talk to those young guys that are going to be preachers. And, why, why are you here? Why do you want to study here? And one of them sticks out in my mind. Well, becoming a doctor takes too long. Becoming a lawyer takes too long. I'm going to be a preacher and I can make the same amount of money. Enough said. And I didn't even know the gospel. But I knew, as Brother D.J. said, I knew that wasn't right. <laughs> no man takes this honor to himself. And you know what? Left to ourselves, we would never, ever choose salvation. We'd say, no thanks. We're thankful for a God that has an orderly covenant of grace that's ordered and sure, and he will carry it out and save all his people from their sins. 
So we have, again, this is mentioned in verse 6, and he says, also in another place, we just read that in the Psalms, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications, this is Christ, with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and he was heard in that he feared Thou, he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Can you explain that about Jesus Christ? I cannot explain it about Jesus Christ, but I know he went through every bit of that. All right, join me, if you would, in chapter 6 of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 13. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 13. It says here, for when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise, for men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of strife. Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it with an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, he might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil." Whether the forerunner for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. How important this man was. What a picture he is. What a type he is. And yet what a reality he is that in a pre-incarnate form, he would come down and visit with a man and bless him with wine and and bread and say, I am dis describing and detailing and bringing to you the gospel of a broken body and shed blood, and you're a priest forever as a result of this. Then we find out as we travel through the scriptures, we find out more abundantly more about this great high priest, this one who is king and priest, and this one that Jesus Christ overshadows the type and the shadow with such pictorial declaration. I am a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Travel with us just a little further to chapters, chapter 7 of the book of Hebrews. This whole chapter is just filled with thoughts about Melchizedek. Verse 1, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. You know, here, when we find reference to this, we find him called Abraham. When we're over in the Old Testament, he's called Abram at that time. Now we have his full name. We have Abraham. And then it says, To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. What a description we have of the person who actually can take care of the problem and grant to us a covenant of peace and be a priest for us that will appear before God on our behalf. Not only is he the priest, but he is also the offering. 
He offered himself an offering of sweet-smelling savor to the Father. He, this transaction is on our behalf, but it is really presented to God. That's the one that needs to have the offering made for. We are the recipients of it. But God Almighty is the offended party, and He is the only one that can really appreciate what's going on on that cross, and as a result of that, grant unto us everlasting life. God the Father is the one that this sacrifice is made for, and it is what God said in the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah, I saw the travail of His soul, and I'm satisfied. And as a result of that, the church is at peace with God. We have an everlasting high priest who ever liveth to make intercession for us. You know, I'm not sure that he ever says a word. I can just see him when accusations are brought up. Look at my hands and my feet. Now, if he says more, hallelujah. That's what he said to Thomas. Look at my hands and my feet. And you know what Thomas said then? My Lord and my God. You endured all that for me. Verse 11. Of this chapter, verse chapter 7, If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek, and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. What's that? You know, under the Levitical priesthood, he said, if you've sinned, bring your sacrifice. Under this, the law is trust Christ and don't move a muscle. Don't you do anything. Don't you bring anything. You have nothing to bring. Trust Christ. And then we find out that that's been supplied to us anyway. That trust has been supplied. That's the law. Trust Christ I pray in my last moment that the words that proceed out of my mouth is, I trust His blood and righteousness alone. Verse 13, For he of whom these things were spoken pertaineth to another tribe of which no man giveth attendance at the altar, for it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake not concerning the priesthood. And it is yet far more evident, for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest. You know, the church has been thankful ever since we read that, that it has not been the Levitical priesthood. A priesthood of animal sacrifices. This is a priesthood, Jesus Christ said, I lay down my life a ransom for many. And that is sufficient. 
an everlasting priest, eternal priest who grants everlasting peace. Brother Mike.